It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. confirming it as true. To say that the world is in a state of shock this morning would be to understate the situation. The event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world, just about 25 minutes ago. Suddenly and without warning, literally thousands, perhaps millions of people just disappeared. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events as it to Bible prophecy, in effect, dispelling all the cunningly devised fables about the rapture, for he is coming, he who sitteth upon the throne is coming, and he will rattle your cage.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you this March the 7th, 2017. Oops. It's 18, isn't it? This year might be a little bit more advantageous than you had a forethought. We shall see indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we shall see indeed. Well, Clinton, how has your week progressed, and what's been catching your eye in the news this week? You know, the the best way that I can say how my week progressed is, is it was a realization of you know, the important people um, in my life and, and primarily my, my wife, Felicia. I mean, she has been my rock and she has, she's the main reason that I am the man that I am today and, and thankful that I have her in my life. So that's been the biggest realization for me this week on a personal scale. When it comes to looking at the news and everything that's going on in the world, um, to be honest, this week, my head was spinning. Um, that we talked about how the news was getting faster and faster and faster. Well, this week it was happening so quickly that I couldn't keep up. I mean, there was like uh, something like close to 50 some articles that I had saved on my phone to read um, to prepare for the broadcast. And normally it's not anywhere close to that, but this week has just been absolutely off the charts. Yes, it certainly has been the uh, Brian. I did a, Bonus broadcast last night. A follow up on the Trumpocalypse, of course. We've had treachery setting in. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, that treachery is going to ferment. Until it's ready. And it will bear fruit, very bitter fruit, in due time. Bright, how's your week progressed, and what's been catching your eye in the news? Well, I suppose as many people have probably figured out now, I usually don't answer that first question because my how my week progresses and what I've been watching in the news, I'd have to say they're really one and the same. Um, and that's kind of what it's rolled down here, folks. I've had to... Uh, even up the ante even more so in this last week on trying to keep on top of all this stuff, you know, and then making matters worse, it brings it to a great difficulty of even trying to touch on a small portion of this. I mean, you know, we touched on some of the little topics last night, but this was mainly things surrounding, for the most part, concerning uh, Israel and relations between the United States as well at this point. A little bit about Nineveh. You know, but folks, it's there's things happening all over the world right now. And of course, you know, the atypical, everybody's um getting fixated on one story or this story or that story from the Western perspective. And it's not gonna allow you to see outside that bubble if you're not paying attention. It's back over to you guys. Well, I would liken that bubble you refer to as that 
differential in pressure caused by a thermonuclear weapon. As it blasts everything in its shockwave to oblivion. I see your I see your point, Bry. Cause all this is going nowhere healthy at all, to say the least. I mean we've had all kinds of not only geopolitical news, economic news. We've had weather chaos news off the charts. Not to mention earthquake data streaming in, proving exponentially that parts of our core is crystallizing even as we speak. In direct relation, ladies and gentlemen, to Isaiah, the 54th chapter, you would care to take a look at it? I would strongly suggest that you concentrate there on verse 16 and the craftsman at play. Ah, yes. The quiet before the storm, the deep breath before the plunge. Well, Clinton, you have the mic. Well, you know, with the the segue that uh, you brought in, it kind of changes things a little bit on how I was going to present things, but... Um, it makes it more interesting, I think. Um, for, for those of you watching what's going on with the earthquakes, I mean, if you, you go to USGS, you can see that there's been a sharp increase of earthquakes on the western coast. Um, you know, there's been reports that, you know, Yellowstone has been very, very active as well. And just this last week on Thursday, California had a 5.3 earthquake, which was the largest earthquake that California's had in, in recent years. Um, and then on Friday, here in my home state of Colorado, we have a 2.7 earthquake in Colorado by Glenwood, which is not the most common to have an earthquake that size here in Colorado as well. So this crystallization or whatever is happening at the, the center of our earth is definitely starting to show signs of earthquakes and, and events all across the globe. Um, so those are going to continue because, well, that's what scripture says. It's going to continue. Now, when it comes to what everyone is watching is this, this trade war, this, you know, impact on the Dow, you know, how it affects their money. And, and the reason that they're kind of freaking out is, you know, you have one day where the, the Dow goes down 400 points and then the next day it goes back up 400 points. And then days like Friday where it, it, it sinks almost 800 points and then finishes to where it's only negative 550 and this is because, of the, you know, they blame it on the jobs reports. And, and you know, the, the jobs created in the United States, there's only 103,000 in the last month. And I even had someone on Twitter say, so? Well, if you don't understand, 103,000 is pathetic. Um, back when Bush Jr. was in office, if he didn't hit 250,000, they laughed at him. So 103,000 is, is horrible. 
absolutely horrible. And so this is impacting what people are you know, trying to do with their money. And, and, and people don't necessarily know what to do with this trade war. I and mean, we have this tit for tat back and forth going between the United States and China. We have, you know, President Trump came out and said, you know, we're going to do a $50 trillion or $50 billion uh, tariff against China, and China retaliates, you know, 11 hours later. And what China does is they retaliate directly towards the Trump base. They affect Trump voters. That's what their intention with the tariffs were. And so then, you know, President Trump comes out here recently, and he wants to say, okay, we're, we're going to put uh, um, another $100 billion worth of tariffs on China as well. So we're upping it from $50 billion to $150 billion against Chinese goods that are imported into the United States. What, you know, these proponents and all these people that are saying this, these tariffs are a good thing, what they don't understand is, is that is impacting the price that Americans pay for goods. It's going to cause the price of every Chinese product to go up, and you're going to have a shortage of products. So those TVs, those computers, those cell phones, you know, that's a lot of electronics come from China, you know, and, and all those other you know, shoes and all these other things that Chinese make, the price of those things are going to go up, and so that cost is going to you. It's not going to the government. It's not going to the companies. It's going to you. The companies are going to still make their profits. And even Trump said, well, you know, we're going to have a little bit of pain, but it'll be okay. Well, when you're a billionaire, it's okay to have a little bit of pain when you have to pay a little bit more for products. But when you're living paycheck to paycheck, the average American is, and we can see from the credit card debt going through the roof that they are actually using credit cards more than their paycheck to continue on with their lifestyle. And now the cost of their goods are going to go up. What is that the definition of? Oh, it's called inflation. That's what that's called. So we are basically inciting inflation into the American economic structure. That is what these tariffs are doing, is we are inciting this. And this is just going to continue and continue and continue. Because after that, the United States did tariffs against the Russians against. But, but these are another tit for tat. The Chinese did tariffs against the Trump base, so Trump does tariffs against the oligarchs and the backers of Putin. I mean, the, these tariffs that he came out with uh, were directly associated to seven oligarchs that are associated with Putin, 12 companies that are associated with Putin, and 17 senior officials. So now these tariffs are going against individuals, going against just the wealthy Russians to attack them in that way. This is how impactful these tariffs are going to get, is they're going to impact direct individuals. And you know that Russia has come out and said that they are going to retaliate, and they're going to do this in a massive way as well. So you can anticipate more Trump supporters are going to be impacted by tariffs because, well, that's what the Chinese did. That's what the retaliation for the Americans to Russia did, and of course Russia's going to do the same. So this is, this is definitely getting crazy on how these tariffs are being sent out and how it's being portrayed that these tariffs are a good thing. It's only going to impact global trade. And if you impact global trade, you stop the velocity of money, which causes everything to slow down. And anyone that's working in retail, anyone that's working in, 
in corporations that depend on you know commission sales or anyone that's in that kind of structure, they're going to be affected because everyone's going to not have the money they need to to spend. Plain and simple. When the cost of everything goes up, they don't have the discretionary funds to spend other areas. So this is what these tariffs are going to do, and this is exactly what this this plan is. And they're even talking about coming out and doing tariffs again against Iran. And this is just getting a little more insightful into the big picture of what everything is going on. Because they're they're talking about that they are planning on, and I'm saying they as in the United States, uh, not ratifying the Iranian nuclear deal. Now, it expires or needs to be ratified on May 12th. Um, if Trump does not ratify, and he said last time back in January he's not going to do it again, then it expires, and basically then we can put sanctions on Iran because part of the deal is they don't create a nuclear bomb, we don't put sanctions on them. If, they, if we back out of that deal, we can put sanctions on them, and that's what we're actually talking about doing. Now, just keep this in mind. That nuclear deal was signed on April 2, 2015. So, you know, three years ago, it's kind of ironic that it's three years ago that this deal was signed, and it's going to be three years after the deal was signed that this deal is going to be broken, basically. So just keep that in mind. It's kind of interesting how that's playing out. Um, but what Iran has come out and said is if the United States pulls out of this deal or the EU pulls out or whoever else breaks this deal, um, they're going to have a special surprise, a special response if they pull out. And what has been materializing with Iran is very interesting because in, over the last week, they have been working out massive trade deals with their neighboring country of Pakistan. Now, they're working on and they anticipate having a trade deal, a free trade deal, to where Pakistan and Iran can trade goods across the border and not charge any tariffs between them. That is what is the trend with everyone that's not associated with the United States is they're getting free trade. The interesting thing about this is, well, Pakistan is a nuclear power. And Pakistan and Iran have common enemies. And if this special deal or the special retaliation or the special response or whatever you want to call it comes out and, they, and we pull out of the nuclear deal, there's nothing that stops Iran from getting a nuclear weapon from Pakistan. There's absolutely nothing. It would just be a sign of a paper, a free deal. I don't even have to pay you any markup, and here you go. Here's a nuclear bomb. So if that's not getting real, you can always see the, the disputes between Pakistan and India is getting more and more intense. I mean, they, every, on a daily basis, it seems like there's someone either on the Pakistani border or on the Indian border that is getting shot at or killed or, or any, and named or any other way that they can be damaged. This is just growing. And if you mix in Iran into that scenario, we already kind of understand that India has been playing both sides of the fence. They've been trying to make deals with China, but they also made a deal recently with Saudi Arabia and with Israel to allow for the you know, planes to fly over, commercial airlines to fly over Saudi Arabia directly to Israel. So you can see that there's an alliance already being created outside of the Iranian-Russia-Turkey alliance that is being created. And the reason I even bring up this Iranian-Turkish-Russian alliance 
is, well, <laughs> one, it's talked about in Ezekiel 38. Um, that's one, one big reason. There's always been a debate if, you know, Gog and Magog, if, if it's Turkey or if it's Russia or, or anything like that. And, and there's even debates that it's coming from, you know, the Balkans or whatever it may be. But the crazy thing that with all of this stuff happening, that Saudi Arabia or that Turkey, Russia, and Iran signed an agreement this last week. And they all three countries say they are the guarantors, the guarantor states of a ceasefire in Syria. That is what they signed, is that they plan on making sure that, you know, the terrorist groups or the rebel groups or the United States and Saudi Arabian troops, however you want to phrase it, are going to be removed from Syria. That was their main agreement that they signed this last week. Now, the scary thing about this is, in this, <laughs> we have the United States is talking about pulling their troops out of Syria. And we have also President Trump saying, well, we're going to pull out and someone else is going to step in. So we have French troops that are already going into Syria. And we have speculation that Israel is going to go into Syria as well. I mean, to the point that the Assad regime has actually moved tanks and troops to the border of Syria and Israel in this demilitarization zone. They've already moved troops there because they anticipate Israel kind of going in. And then Trump says something very, very weird. He, he comes out and he says, we are almost completed that task. And he's talking about defeating ISIL. And, uh, and we'll be making a determination very quickly in coordination with others in the area as to what we'll do. Now, Saudi Arabia is very interested in our decision. And I said, well, you know what? If you want us to stay, maybe you're going to have to pay. So, so the President of the United States just came out and said that the U.S. military is, is for hire, that our military troops are basically possibility of mercenaries is what the president of the United States just said that if Saudi Arabia wants to pay for the United States troops to stay in Syria we will stay in Syria if the Saudi Arabian if Saudi Arabia pays for it I mean it, anyone that has a son or daughter or a relative in the military that should just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up the possibility that US troops could be treated as mercenaries in the Middle East on a public scale, the president of the United States actually saying this. So that is getting very, very eerie. And then you put into to conquest, you know, all the stuff that's going on with the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Because, I mean, he is going through and making waves like nothing else. I mean, this last, this last week he came out and said that Israel has a right to their own land. And, I mean, everyone, it was all over the news sources, and, and everyone was talking about how, you know, the, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia actually backing Israel and saying that they have a claim to the Holy Land and how this is a big deal. I mean, every news source was, was printing it and, and talking about it. It was, it was a massive deal. Now, in his actual speech, what he said is, he said, I believe that each people anywhere has the right to live in their peaceful nation. I believe the Palestinians and the Israelis have the right to have their own land. 
but we have to have a peace agreement to assure the stability for anyone to have normal relations. So, I mean, we, we've talked about the crown prince and the moves that he has made in the last year alone. The fact that he came out of obscurity, he's 32 years old, he was not in the line of secession. According to the Saudi Arabian government, is the, the secession doesn't go from father to son, it goes from brother to brother. So the, the current king was supposed to turn over the power of the Saudi government to his brother. Instead, what he did is he locked the brother up in a palace, made sure that he can't leave, moved his son from who was like, I think, 50th in line, all the way to being next in line as soon as he, he passes away, and then enabled him to lock up every relative of the Saudi, uh, Saudi family that didn't agree with him. So, I mean, that was his first move in office is all my relatives that don't agree that I should be in power, I'm locking you up, and you're going to have to pay for your freedom. That's, that's what he did. And the, the Saudi government was able to raise $100 billion by taking money back from their family members. I mean, that, you can't even make this kind of stuff up. But that is exactly what the crown prince did. And then shortly after he did that, then they come out with Sophia, which is artificial intelligence that can talk to you, answer questions, is in a humanoid form that can actually, you know, have a sense of humor, supposedly. I saw, I didn't even read it because I was just, I couldn't go that far. Uh, Will Smith was talking to her, trying to flirt with her. I mean, it, it was, it, this world is getting crazy. That's all I have to say. But the crown prince is the one that unveiled this AI technology, this robotic humanoid that is coming out of Saudi Arabia. And Sophia was giving citizenship to the company of Saudi Arabia. Now, this is all the crown prince doing this. And this last week, he went all over the United States, met with President Trump, met with Oprah, met with the uh, you know, Jewish leaders in, in America, before he comes out and recognizes that Israel has a possibility of, you know, that they, they have his backing of having their own land. Now, the scary thing about this is he doesn't necessarily stop there. I mean, he comes out and says that, you know, Israel and Saudi Arabia have a common enemy. And when he comes out and he's saying all this, he, it's, it's just kind of eerie. Um, because he basically says that the Palestinians are the only issue that is affecting the unilateral relationship between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And that if they could resolve that issue between Israel and the Palestinians with some kind of peace treaty, then Saudi Arabia and Israel have a common enemy. And they didn't come out and say who this common enemy is, but I'm sure you can speculate who that is. But the fact is that the crown prince, directly after acknowledging that Israel has a claim to the Holy Land, that he comes out and says that the only reason that Saudi Arabia militarily and financially is not supporting Israel at this point is because there needs to be a treaty between Palestine and Israel. So, 
you know, anyone that's studying anything associated with Bible prophecy, that should catch your attention directly right there. Because this is exactly what prophetic scripture is saying. And we, we can see that this is moving in this direction because the crown prince is actually enabling this to happen. Now, you can, you can see all of this transpiring and all of this growing and all of this leading towards this May time frame. We, we know that the 70th anniversary of Israel is coming up, I believe, on the 17th. We know that the United States government is going to be moving their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem on that same day. We know that directly before that, the United States plans on pulling out of the Iranian nuclear deal. And we also know the Palestinians are not very happy. I mean, they, they are major, you know, putting major protests on the Israeli-Gaza border. I mean, they did it last week, and there was something like 14 people were killed and 1,400 were injured, most of them by live round, being shot into the crowd. Well, they, they came out, and they planned on doing that again on this Friday. And even Hamas came out on Thursday and said, please, don't do this. We ask for calm. And it's, it's crazy because the fact that Hamas came out and asked for calm is a big deal. And I was watching one news network today, and they were blaming Hamas for the riots. And, it, and it's like, no, Hamas publicly came out and said, no, we do not want this. We want calm. We do not want the Palestinians rising up against the Israelis because it's just going to cause conflict. But they did, of course. And they were, you know, burning tires, like thousands and thousands of tires, to where Israel came out saying, you know, this is going to be causing a massive, you know, environmental issue because the sky is darkened to where you can't see through it. You know, I mean, sure, I'm sure if you look through the smoke, the, I'm sure the sun would probably look red and you know, I'm, I'm sure that the moon would probably change colors as well. I mean, I'm just speculating if you have that kind of fire, that kind of, you know, tire burning fire that, that is coming out of that, the smoke, then I'm sure that it would change how the, the sky looks. Just, just guess it. But um, that's happening, and they're burning thousands and thousands of tires. And just this last week, you know, the, the Palestinians were, you know, there was 10 more killed another 240 injured, and there was, there was one journalist that was, that was killed and five other journalists that were injured as well. And they're saying that this journalist that was killed was directly shot by Israeli troops. I mean, hundreds of people showed up for his funeral. I mean, the international community is getting involved because, you know, this is a journalist. This is like you can't necessarily hide this one. So, so this whole issue with what's going on between the Palestinians and the Jews is, is definitely getting out of hand. Now, one little article that no one ever really talked about at all was before the Palestinians rose up in Gaza this last week, there was a massive escalation in Jewish settlers storming the al uh, I can never pronounce this, but basically the Dome of the Rock. Um, hundreds of Jewish settlers by heavily armed Israeli special forces have stormed the Al-Aqasp Mosque compound in uh, occupied East Jerusalem to mark the Jewish holiday of Passover. 
The Palestinian news agency WAFA reported that around 500 settlers entered the Al-Akast Mosque in in early hours of Thursday before performing Jewish rituals near the Dome of the Rock Mosque. Um, There was at least 491 settlers and 13 special forces broke into the compound bringing the total number of Jewish settlers illegally entering the religious site since Sunday to 1,731. So the Jews are already basically taken over the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Akosk Mosque. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it. Um, but, I mean, this is, this is a direct attack against the Islamic faith. I mean, this is the number three most religious, most holy site in all of Islam. And they are storming it and basically in the eyes of the Muslim world desecrating it because they're doing the Jewish rituals on the outside of it or right near it. So you can see how this is going to just escalate and grow as the, you know, from the standpoint of the Palestinians, as this is a direct attack against their faith. This is a direct attack against the Muslim faith. And, well, that's why the escalation in Syria is going to get worse that's why this whole thing with the the nuclear deal with iran is going to get worse because you can see the players have already chosen their sides you can see that the war is already materializing before our eyes and you can see the push to create this peace treaty that is going on now on our home front i mean we we don't have any real major news except for that oh yeah we're moving troops to the mexican border um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just no big deal that, uh, the original plan was to pull troops out of Syria and put them on the Mexican border, which, you know, Donald Trump found out that that was kind of illegal to do, that you can't necessarily do that. And so we're actually pulling the, the national guard and moving those troops to the Mexican border. And this is where it gets, you know, kind of interesting because we have the, the governors of Texas and Arizona that are both saying this is a great deal. We're moving troops right now. They are already there, by the way. Um, and President Trump plans on having, you know, up to, what was it, 2,000 to 4,000 National Guard troops to man the Mexican border until the wall is built. Now, you have other states, like the governor of Oregon is like, we are not moving our, tr- our National Guard there. Don't, we're, not, we're just disregarding this order. We are not going to have it. So you, you can already see the strife that is being caused between the federal government and states. And we've talked about this strife that is happening between the federal government and states. And unfortunately, it seems like what, what's happening is there's a separation between the western half of the United States and the southern half and the eastern half. And, I mean, we're, we're divided. We're divided in so many different ways. And when you look at what's going on with the, the Mexican border, we, we have the, the Mexican government that is very, very upset. I mean, Mexico senators unanimously approved a non-binding statement Wednesday that says that the government should suspend joint efforts in the fight against transnational organized crime until Trump exhibits civil, civility and respect that the people of Mexico deserve. I mean, you can't make this up. You can't make this up. So basically, the Senate of Mexico is going to 
the president, Pena, which, by the way, Mexico has their elections on July 1st. So this is all happening before their election. You don't think that's coincidence at all. Um, but anyhow, the, the Senate of Mexico is going to the president and saying that we need to break ties with the United States on how they deal with migration and security. <laughs> so this just leads to full circle. Back when the Ukrainian war was going on, when Russia went in to you know, Ukraine and we had this big issue, well, the United States was moving weaponry to arm Ukraine. And the Russian government came out and said, if you continue arming Ukraine, which we did, by the way, if you continue arming Ukraine, we are going to arm Mexico. Now, the speculation on my part was that they were always going to arm the cartel. And it makes sense that that would be the case. Now you have the Mexican authorities saying that they're going to back off of the cartel, that they're going to back off of their efforts to stop this trafficking, stop this migration, stop the security efforts because of the actions of the president of the United States. So, I mean, all of you that think that what is happening is going to bypass you or that you're not going to have to deal with it or that you're going to be gone or, or it's just going to be over in Europe or whatever excuse you want to make, that is not the case. That is not the case. Here is something directly real that is going to affect us. And keep in mind, if you build a wall, it works both ways. Not only does it keep people out, but it keeps people in. So if things deteriorate in the United States economically and they start doing what they're speculating they're going to do in California to the homeless population is you know, round them up and put them into camps, which is seriously what they're talking about doing. And in some cases, they've already started making these towns. Then you can see how economics are being, are going to be used to basically cause the, you know, useful or the useless eaters to drop off of the system and then be rounded up. I mean, that's just, (laughs) you, you can't make it up. But that's exactly what the the plan seems to be. If you cause these tariffs to come through, the cost of everything goes up. Inflation goes up. People can't afford housing as is. I saw an article that said that it's getting very difficult for, for Americans to be able to afford mobile homes because the price of them is even going high. So, I mean, if people can't afford housing and then the price of everything is going up and people are living off credit cards and those interest rates are going to go up because, well, we're raising rates – All of these things are going to put more and more strain on the American public. And if you make it to where economically they are struggling and falling off of the system and they can't even leave the country by way of going down to Mexico because it's better there, then you have issues. And that is what is developing at this point. And it's making it to where you need to realize that, well, you're not going anywhere. You're going to be here, and you're going to have to deal with this. So pay attention to what's going on. Now, just a little tidbit. You know, we, we've been talking about North Korea. I think everyone's been talking about North Korea for the last you know, couple of years, and 
And, you know, there's speculation that maybe North and South Korea are going to be working on some kind of deal or, or making some kind of agreement or, or something like that. Well, right now, the United States and South Korea are doing their annual military drills. They, they do these every single year. And this year, there's 23,700 American troops that are involved, and there's 300,000 South Korean troops that are involved. And North Korea, for the longest time, it says this is just a rehearsal for the invasion of North Korea. And they've always condemned these exercises, saying that we, we don't like it. You're, we can see what you're doing. You're just planning on coming in and taking us out. Well, their big brother, Russia, this week just came out and said the United States needs to stop these drills. Any other time Russia saying this, you could say, okay, well, you know, go away. No big deal. You're not going to do anything. But with, in light of what's going on economically and what's going on with this whole, you know, Russia spy poisoning thing that's going on in the UK where they're saying that they can't definitively tell that Russia truly did it. I mean, they, they, they publicly came out and said that they cannot prove that Russia did it. So Russia now is on the defensive saying that not only is the UK, the United States, and other countries affecting them economically, but also affecting them on the global scale and ruining their reputation. And then they come out and say, stop it with North Korea. <laughs> you can see where this is all building and this is all expanding. And then on top of that, the last little thing I want to say before I hand it over to Matthew is there was a weird little article that came out in Politico talking about war in space. I mean, yes, that, that's scriptural as well. I mean, it talks about in the Bible how there will be war in the heavens. And all of a sudden, here we have an article talking about how they're really concerned. The United States is really concerned because when it comes to space warfare, China and Russia are many, many years ahead of us. They already have it set up to where they can just annihilate us pretty quickly um, on a space warfare standpoint. And we are putting so much money and so much expertise and trying to build that up so quickly right now because we are so far behind. So if they do pull that trigger and they take out all of our satellites, there goes our military, there goes everything. There goes our communications, there goes our military, there goes our economics, there goes everything. And they're talking that we may see that happen. So, Matthew, I'll hand it back over to you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you could very well construe from what Clinton was covering there, enter in confusion, enter in chaos. Where do you look? How do you keep track of everything that is transpiring across the entire planet? It's absolutely off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. Most people do not know what to make of what. They can't figure out who's who. What's what? Even where is where? 
major developments in Ukraine this week? You know, ladies and gentlemen, you have experts that follow their own particular things. Some do economics. Some do earth changes. Some do societal changes. Across the board, all of these things, even into the psychological status of the country, is all redlining. Everything's redlining. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, has anybody heard about what has happened in Pittsburgh? In Pittsburgh, uh, part of Route 30 collapses. Evacuations have been ordered. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, apartment buildings are being evacuated in Pittsburgh because the International Airport there measured 1.8 inches of rain and melted snow in the first six days of April. And typically, it takes about half of the month for the airport to receive that amount. April 3rd alone was the wettest day with 1.2 inches of rain. Nearly double the normal precipitation has fallen in Pittsburgh. And yet at the same time, we have in Colorado, the snowpack has been reduced by one-third. The Colorado government is screaming drought, drought. Everything is redlining. Suicide rate is off the charts. Nobody's covering it. Nobody's tracking it. Nobody cares. I mean, it wasn't too awfully long ago that I shared on this very program that almost 50% of all cops in Chicago commit suicide. And yet everybody seems to be caught up in cunningly devised fables that endearingly coax them away from doing what it is they're supposed to be doing. You know, it's pretty bad. Even here where I'm at, there's not even a good will that I could donate close to.
I continually get informed by people that they've been studying Bible prophecy for over 20 years, and the first question out of their mouth is, when's the pre-tribulational rapture? That's when it sinks in. They have literally wasted their time chasing down a most cunningly devised fable. They've never studied the Bible because you cannot study the Bible, God's holy word, and come to that conclusion. Can't be done. I do hope you enjoyed the break. It comprises... Some information that is actually detrimental to your preparing yourself for what is to come. We'll be back. Nine minutes, 57 seconds. Leviticus 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering, and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, until he come out, and have made an atonement for himself, and for his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock, and of the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it, and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, and the tabernacle of the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, and put on his garments, and come forth, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, and their flesh, and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls, and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you, to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest, whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister, in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins once a year. And he did, as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? 
Isaiah chapter 14, verse 21. Ladies and gentlemen, know in your heart that you can precisely put the Day of Atonement on the Tribulation timeline utilizing Leviticus chapter 16, verses 12 through 16, and coupling it with Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. You are listening to the End Time Tribune. Dispel all cunningly devised fables concerning the pre-tribulational rapture. Revelation 8 And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters, because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the End Time Tribune. It is time to get Brian in the saddle. Brian, the mic is yours. All right, I pushed my mute button three times and it doesn't want to unmute. That's uh, good fun. All right. Well, I guess that, as always, what's here's the question: Where do we uh, begin?
I, I don't know. I, I mean, there was an event today I could touch on for a moment. Uh, Matthew had posted an interesting little article concerning the question of how America is going to respond. Ironically enough, there's threats coming out of Syria today that uh, there was a chemical attack. And it's rather interesting how it stated uh, in the very news sources, which, of course, they're all kind of a copy-paste out of um, Reuters or AFP or AP. Everybody pay attention to that when you read a news story because I'm noticing it more consistently now. All they're doing is mirroring it from those three sites, and this is happening all over the world. What, how do they respond? Well, the first and foremost thing that's already being said in Western media is that Russia is going to bear responsibility for this. So I think that might give you an indication of how they're going to respond. You know, and uh, the infamous words of uh, one uh, satire newscaster in the UK, Russia's always bad. And that's sort of where they're taking this. You know, we've had quite a bit of discussion over the last week about what's going on concerning the United States removing itself from Syria. Still a bit iffy on the information, talks that you're dealing with about a six-month timetable or more, more or less. Now, the reported numbers of troops that we have on the ground, and let me reiterate that again, the reported numbers are 2,000 troops, which technically speaking, compared to what's going on in Afghanistan right now, not too big. Not a huge number, but I don't know that that takes into account the planes coming in and bombing and all the rest of this. But how is this going to play out? Well, you know, there's some little odds and ends that have kind of come up over the last week here as Ankara has been hosting Russia and Iran. A lot of statements have been made from those talks concerning the what was originally started with the Astana Peace Accords in Kazakhstan. And this is leading to some strange places. Because in the meantime, we've had also phone calls taking place between the United States administration, the commander-in-chief, with Turkey as well. And as many different sides that look over this topic, you know, one of the things that's pointed out is the United States backing the FSA, as they usually refer to it, or the Free Syrian Army, and the Kurdish end of things. You know, which, of course, we know... Now, fairly well that everything that's going on with Turkey and the Kurdish groups that it considers terror organizations, this is all pretty much out there, common knowledge now at this point. And, you know, the big, um, the big divide here is who do they align with these uh, quote-unquote terror groups that are labeled as the terror groups in Turkey and who's who in the Syria situation. And that's where it all gets tricky, but it, it kind of boils down to this. When you look at the statements out of the American administration, they're essentially doing what was initially done with the Kurds in Iraq, and they're abandoning 
them. Now, you know, I don't see too many people asking the big questions on a continual basis here as to why in the world, <coughs> excuse me, is what, why is Turkey being allowed to do what it's doing? Because we now know that, for instance, we have the S-400 missile system, anti-missile defense system that's being brought in from Russia. We had the big announcement this week about the laying of the foundation of a nuclear power plant in Turkey that is being built in tandem with Russia. And at the same time, we have continual calls going on between the White House and Erdogan as well. And in the U.S., everything's peachy keen with Turkey. And at the same time, we have these moves going on where you can see full well that this alliance between Russia and Turkey is being solidified to, I would say, a pretty major extent. Now, of course, this does bring in complications because Turkey has never been too pleased with the Assad regime and how they were even brought on board in these talks is quite a bit more of a topic for discussion. But nonetheless, they backed off from their previous stance of wanting the Assad regime removed and are lining themselves up more and more with Turkey, with Iran, and with Russia. So we can see we've got this sort of confusing turn of events that's happening here on a continual basis in Turkey. Earlier this week, it was announced that Turkey was once again seeking the extradition of Fethullah Gulen, who is currently sitting in Pennsylvania in the United States, back to Turkey. Well, this announcement was made in tandem with Russia for the assassination of the Russian diplomat that, as a matter of fact, was televised when it happened. So now you have another little bit of a, they call it a tit-for-tat situation happening, where not only Turkey's, technically speaking, calling for this extradition, if it's concerning the Russian diplomat that was assassinated in broad daylight for everybody to watch as it was televised, well, this means Russia also is calling for the extradition. It's just a very confusing circumstance, no matter how you look at it, with what's happening with Turkey. You know, we have a war of words happening between France and Turkey. As France, it's been reported on the ground through Kurdish sources now, um, specifically, for instance, Radoff, Kurdistan 24, even as they've been pointing out that there's French forces already on the ground in Syria. So they're already there. And this has caused tension between Marcon and Erdogan. Uh, we've had, of course, the tension between Germany and Erdogan for quite some time, not to even mention a vast amount of other groups. Isn't that classic? Good timing, people. Anyway, sorry about that. As somebody tries to uh, tap into my computer with Bluetooth again, imagine that. Nonetheless, we have this very bizarre situation that's been ongoing for quite some time. 
And as anybody has watched this for a while now, they know about the, uh, as they call it, the quote-unquote neo-Ottoman sentiments that Erdogan has pushed for a long time. Now, this goes into all kinds of much more complicated, drawn-out historical pieces. But, I mean, maybe that's sort of the point. You know, we see this strange almost inversion of what happened during World War One because, you know, the complications of what happened to bring Turkey into the uh, sphere of Germany in World War One. well, I mean, to sort of summarize it, you can't. It's one of the books I have on the topic of the dividing up of the uh, Middle East with the Sykes-Picot Accords and the Red Line Agreements and all of that takes several chapters to explain this. But it was this gamble where, to an extent, Turkey almost to a degree, well, they weren't so certain who they wanted to side with. They sort of made a last-minute decision. Well, and we saw what happened afterwards, because that's where the Ottoman Empire was broke up, and this is what is our current Middle East. As these new borders were drawn, and it just keeps going. But we can see these aspirations on a continual basis flaring up in tiny little ways. You know, for instance, as we've had what's been happening here with the uh, attempted renewal in negotiations between the two camps that are divided in Palestine with uh, Muhammad Abbas and the very leaders of Hamas and all the other organizations that are in the Gaza Strip, and that list is rather getting a little bit more lengthy by the moment. As I've stated before, you've got at least three different known terror organizations that are working in tandem in the Gaza Strip. Not necessarily, I guess working in tandem may not be the most appropriate way because there's a lot of talk that Hamas is kind of losing its grip a little bit on things as the other two primary uh, groups are trying to vie for control. So you've got some tension just in the Gaza Strip alone, never mind the fact that when you consider these divides between Abbas and Hamas's leadership that Egypt Sisi tried to correct, didn't pan out so well. So where did the talks resume? Well, now those talks have been resuming inside Turkey. And you see, this is where things sort of start to shed light on what's really been happening with the Gaza Strip. Because we've had a few reports come over out over the last week or so with ex-heads of Hamas making speeches there calling for the absolute destruction of Israel. Okay, we've had two separate speeches relayed. One was made in the Gaza Strip, stating Hamas's intentions. And then another one was made this Friday as well. Both of them all calling for the same thing. So as much as the international community is wanting to point their finger at Israel being the bad guys here... Folks, you need to pay attention to the big picture here because 
the media in the rest of the world is not being silent about threats that are being leveled. Those associated with the Gaza Strip by any stretch of the imagination. The Ayatollah, um, a mullah, one of the top ranking uh, religious officials as well, said I have Iran. They both stood up and made the same atypical threats to wipe Israel off the map. Backing with their support for what Hamas is doing. Well, it's been documented for quite some time, the connections between Tehran and Hamas. So this is pretty much known. It's been out there for ages. So, again, you know, and no, I'll start here first. Now, in the meantime, with all of this, between the breakup of those talks that were happening between Abbas and the groups within the Gaza Strip, you've had a breakdown in relations, obviously, between those two and Egypt. But to make matters worse, there appears to be a probability of fraying and tensions with relations towards Israel. It's a possibility of a development that we may want to keep our eyes on. Now, the wild card of CC coming into the mix here, you know, of course, um, it was one of the atypical gambles. But this last election here, I think we're getting a little bit more of a clear understanding of what's happening with that leader in Egypt. Because it's been pretty much documented that any candidate that came up against him was basically brushed aside in one way or the other, leaving the final contender being one of his supporters, but didn't have any chance. And there's been all kinds of other things that have happened over the course of the last couple of years here that have led to seeing that something is not right with the current leadership in Egypt. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, you know, let us consider for a moment with Daniel 11, because, you know, we have the king of the north. Well, easiest way to put that, that is Syria. We have the king of the south. We have a lot of indicators and pointers that's going to point us towards, well, there's a reason that that Hebrew word in there is the same word for Negev. Okay, that's going to bring us down to Egypt. When you take this and break it down, and you start looking at all of the events that happened, even you can start going back to 1897 if you want. Nonetheless, you start lining this up with Daniel 11, and you're going to see the isochronal events that have been involved here. Because we've had moves against Israel from both Syria and Egypt in tandem. Things didn't alter until Amar Sadat came along, and he was tired of the fighting that was going on with Israel, and that's how we come about to the Camp David Accords. Nonetheless, we've had these moves going back and forth and back and forth for some time, and you can literally take this down, sit down and look over this, chronologically speaking, and you're going to see the same parallel. Now, let's clear something up here real quick, because I get a little frustrated with this, because you've got an entire camp out there that is pushing that Bashar al-Assad is the Assyrian. Okay, folks, you might want to pay attention in Daniel 11 where it states the king of the north and the king of the south collide with who? With the Assyrian. 
Okay, so how can the king of the north, who they claim is the Assyrian, collide with the Assyrian? Okay, so let's just, you know, get rid of that and brush that away now, because that just, we've seen that one being pulled for multiple years. That's not the case, never was, never will be. If these people would have continued reading in Daniel 11, they would have seen what was right there in front of their eyes. But is this what we're looking at? Because it's become crystal clear over the course of this last week concerning everything that's going on with the announcement of the uh, United States administration as our commander-in-chief sat there at that, more or less it was, well, in uh, a rally of sorts, you know, where he gets up and talks and usually odd things get said. This is, uh, I've seen a few of them when they were going on and just kind of scratched my head, but I think that's kind of besides the point. But this is where the statement started. And the Pentagon, CIA heads, State Department, which obviously now we have a big shakeup with leaders in that. Already we've got confusion and disarray in that thing leading towards, well, it's where we're headed. But with these statements about pulling out of Syria, more statements came out throughout the week. The... uh, government released its own statement concerning this. More talks behind the scenes. As I pointed out, there's the probability we're talking about maybe a six-month time frame before they completely pull out. As we discussed last night, there was a phone call between Benjamin Netanyahu and President Donald Trump in which it was reported that there was screaming on both sides. Now, If you look at the current condition of what's being reported on the ground inside of Lebanon, inside of Syria, take it a step forward to even what's being reported on the ground inside of Israel concerning the buildup, the moving of forces towards Golan Heights, towards the northern border of Israel, concerning statements that have been made by Hezbollah inside of Syria, concerning statements that have been made by Assad's troops inside of Syria. You can see where this is heading. Now, we had um, a story that came out a couple of months ago in The Intercept that reported about Israel trying to move that line forward at its northern border for a buffer zone because you've obviously had a lot of people were removed with the UN group that was in there trying to keep the peace between Israel and Lebanon because that war never really had a treaty. It was just kind of a get up, we walk away, still sort of sitting limbo. You know, and then if we go backwards and we throw in the brat prince, Mr. Mohammed bin Salman, you know, it's and it's become a major talking point of course, again, in this last week. Well, folks, remember what happened when the leader of Lebanon shows up in Arabia, Saudi Arabia. All of a sudden, boom, for two weeks he's gone. Makes an announcement that he's stepping down. Goes to Paris. Um, France has some talks. Decides he's going to go back. Uh, at least that's what the um, one side of the narrative is telling us. The reality on this is we don't really know what all transpired. 
But this all happened at the same time that he's rounding up all of the very big money makers in Saudi Arabia on corruption charges and then, um, let's see, extorting them so they can get released. Because that's what they did. They had to give them a bunch of money so they could even get out of prison. You had deaths in the middle of this, reports that there were private security contractor firms in there, which have gotten more credence as further information has come out. Okay, this was a crackdown that was, um, well, you see, usually the United States likes to get involved or regimes start doing this kind of thing. And yet, of course, because of this foundation that was laid at the end of World War II, the United States does what it always does concerning Saudi Arabia. They look the other way. Now we whip it back over to what I was bringing up with the northern border of Israel. There's major tension developing. As articles stated last week, you know, this was just shortly thereafter that the Israeli uh, advanced electronic warfare F-16 was shot down by a Syrian barrage of missiles. Well, it turns out they had basically a volley of missiles that were kind of, you know, their lower class junk missiles with a very advanced missile in the mix, which was the one that hit the F-16. The Israeli military reported flat out that they were completely stunned by what happened because this should not, they didn't think they had the capability or the technology to pull this off. And they did. Now, an electronic warfare craft is going to logically also have pretty high missile defense systems that are going to be capable of dealing with that. So, of course, you know, in in Syria, this is, they tout this is a major victory, and then Hezbollah started, you know, repeating the exact same thing, started taking credit for it. You know, it gets a little bit confusing, but nonetheless, this was after an Iranian drone was spotted inside of Israel, and it was there for a while by the sounds of it now. And this is what led to that tension with that big showdown. Israel came out and on top of it admitted they had been going into Syria several times, which we have reported on on a continual basis because it's pretty, it's not hard to see what was going on. And, you know, of course, the Israeli news sources were bringing it forward as well and stating that, you know, kind of the plausible deniability thing was going on here. But nonetheless, this wasn't really anything shocking. We've known the whole time this has been happening. You know, so we have Donald Trump here that makes this announcement in the midst of all of this just happening. So, of course, Israel is highly concerned right now. And this buildup along the northern border is something I've been watching for quite some time. Now, when you take that into consideration and you look at what's happening with these Friday um, protests, and these will continue to escalate as we go along further here. They planned that full-blown march on the 70th anniversary of Israel becoming a nation. But as this continues here, you know, there's some things that echo back in my mind from looking over what happened with the varying wars that have broken out between Israel and the surrounding nations. And what has me concerned is with all the attention that's happening with Gaza, 
I would just have to say, we got to look out. They need to look out because it just concerns me very highly knowing what's happened in the past when they got caught kind of not expecting something to come in. And as you can see all this tension build, it's really beginning to make you wonder. You know, yesterday we have, or two days ago actually, because I caught the story right as it posted, right out of uh, Jordan condemning what's been going on at the Alaska Mosque. And this has been happening actually throughout the entire week. It's not just what happened on Passover. There's been reports that have been coming out all over the place. You've had, of course, um, atypical, at least one I've seen, Western News Source tried to debunk it. They did it very poorly. It happened, folks. Because, you know, the out, I believe it's Al-Waq, or however you want to pronounce it, W-K-W-A-Q-F, I'm not the best with trying to pronounce Arabic words, but they're basically the people on the ground there that are in charge of the Dome of the Rock, a.k.a. the Temple Mount. It's their job. And this was stuff that was being reported directly to the Jordanian government. And this is when the spokesman came forward and stated what he did yesterday. Okay, folks, so this is not hyperbole that's being made up by just um, Palestinian or Arabian news sources like the Western media tried to do a quick cover-on. Something is happening. And Matthew and I, in a private discussion earlier this week, you know, the first thing he brought up to me, he goes, what do you think is going to make this boil over? And I said, it's going to be that. It's going to be Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then boom. Because you can ask Matthew about this. The second I found this, well, not the second. I actually let it build for a while while I checked all the sources. In my own home, I was freaking out. Told my roommate what was going on. But I let him know, as soon as you can, do a search. When we consider what just happened on Passover with Yehuda Glick and friends at the Temple Mount with the sacrifice down by the lower area. Okay, folks, this has been one thing that even off in the quote-unquote fiction circles have known to watch, that if something like this starts happening, this could be a mega flashpoint. Now, when we have all this tension happening with the events going on in Gaza, the March for a Turn, with what's moving towards 70th anniversary, this whole thing is just, you have flashpoint upon flashpoint upon flashpoint that is building towards an absolute, just complete explosion throughout the Middle East, you know, and making matters worse. And this is where you really begin to understand the reality of um, the Arabian nations, um, sort of, that's the best way to put it, but it's only going to be for a time alliance with Israel. And the target, yes. they It's been common knowledge for years on end. They're ticked off about Iran. They've been ticked off about Syria for quite some time. That's where this alliance ends. Okay, and where do we... Well... So we know the alliance ends at the same time that the collision between the he-goat and the ram takes place. And then where... So I'll focus going to turn at that point. 
Well, that's headed. We have all this great big things aligning on that spot. We have this move of the embassy of Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Exact same time we come up on the uh, nuclear cords in Iran. Iran is already solidifying a pretty hefty backing with allies. A move against Iran is going to set off a chain event. And if you've been paying attention to varied things, deals going on in the background, you've got some things happening between a few of the, uh, well, that infamous corridor of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And there's analysts and people even in the Middle East that are pointing out rightly so that there's a bigger reason why the United States has re-initiated putting more troops on the ground, building bases in Afghanistan. And it has everything to do with that same corridor, with the same reasoning why they were arming the Mujahideen, fought the Soviet-Afghan war. It's the same reasoning. It's that corridor that gives them access to everything. We talked about this super far back because, look, look north in that corridor. What do you got above you? Iran's right in that neck of the woods, isn't it? Okay, this is building. That's exactly what it's building towards. This is why we keep seeing the events moving more troops into Afghanistan. The United States came in and destabilized Iraq, overthrew the leader, occupied, and got up and left. You know, house swept clean. Said that for a reason. Created the vacuum. This is what led to the formation of ISIS. It's that vacuum. At the same time, they intentionally allowed the Shiite the Iranian-backed groupings, to gain major control inside of Iraq. This is what's led to a mass amount of sectarian tension that's been going on, and this is still rebuilding all over again. Now, I believe it was in this last week. It might have been the week before. It's been announced that Peshmerga and Baghdad decided to set aside their differences because Islamic State's firing up again and to work together. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, here's America again trying to be buddy-buddy. You know, we had multiple nations just betrayed them. And yet, you know what? They set aside their differences and said, we need to deal with this problem. You know, I, folks, if you haven't looked into the Peshmerga and the people there in Iraqi, uh, Kurdistan, you might want to look into some documentaries and check them out because they're quite a sight to behold. We also had reports coming into the news that, you know, more events going on in Iraq, but the thing that caught my attention the most is they're finally calling Nineveh by its proper name. That's exactly as it should be. Like I stated before, it was the very day that the check was signed to allow the Nineveh government to be established that it's ISIS came in and took over. So yes, they should be called Nineveh, as they are finally being called now. 
That's big concerning Bible prophecy in uh, hundreds, thousands of different directions. The one thing that brings to my mind is about that highway coming out of Assyria. Because yes, folks, the Assyrians are Christians. So keep that in mind when you look there. It's pretty important. And their history is, well, I guess from the point of me loving history, it's pretty cool stuff to uh, read about the uh, Assyrian Christians. It's not cool to read about the amount of uh, persecution they've gone through on very high-level degrees for quite some time. And I believe it was even in this article, quite a few good ones coming out of Al Monitor today. When I brought up uh, a little earlier touches on some of this, you have an article coming out of Al Monitor entitled, Egypt Struggles to Edge Qatar Out of Palestine. There's some very interesting developments going on with Qatar and the uh, whole blockade that was started quite some time back, which we now know was initiated by the help of Jared Kushner and friends. We've talked about that several times, so I shouldn't need to cover that much more. And, you know, another article here, Baghdad clamps down on cross-border arms smuggling. Yes, Islamic State is still causing problems, folks. But, and I just couldn't believe it when I saw it, Okay, folks, on overtattentionshow.com, and Matthew just made it available on his Twitter today as well, we have our archive up. We did a show on the Ukraine back when the Ukrainian crisis first broke out. And we spoke to somebody that we referred to as Bernice. Well, it was Yulia Tymonshenko. Here comes out of Reuters today. I'll just read the quote of what I put in here when I uh, posted it on Twitter. Tymoshenko denies the claims, but reports of past illicit campaign financing could damage the Ukrainian opposition leader who is currently beating President Petro Poroshenko in opinion polls ahead of next year's presidential vote. The title of the article is Ukraine Investigates Claim that Gaddafi Funded Tymoshenko campaign. Folks, she was one of the biggest instigating factors of what happened when the Ukrainian crisis started. The protests that led further to the Western-backed snipers, which reports now seem to be alluding to the fact of another infamous character out there that Matthew and I have covered Till we were blue in the face, starting back in 2012, Mikhail Saakashvili, who's also all over the news in the Ukraine as he was a governor there for a while. He's gotten thrown out. He just shows back up there, gets arrested, and on and on we go. But what, we have these two figures that just do not want to go away. And this Yulia Tymoshenko Folks, this ain't good. The fact that she's getting a major lead in the Ukraine, 
boy, oh boy. That presidential vote next year ought to be something. You know, that's just a, what I've touched on so far, it's just for today. Now, I was alerted by my roommate to something rather interesting. So I took a look and then found the original source, what's stated here, and this is uh, something that was uh, released on April 5th, which would have been two days ago. This is from Bloomberg Law. Big Law Business is the site, biglawbusiness.com. Homeland Security to compile database of journalists and bloggers. Now, honestly, this ain't really nothing new. But they're releasing, they released a statement to hire people to take care of this very thing. And in light of all the other things that are being brought to people's attention over the course of this last week, of things that are going on to crack down on the media and on the press about the corporate takeover of with Sinclair Broadcasting, for instance, and all the other, you know, as, you know, to paraphrase what Dan Rather stated earlier in the week, I, I prefer to just state draconian measures. This is getting odd. Came to everybody's attention again. And personally, I was rather irritated by this because we had the reports uh, this week of an Iranian woman, an American Iranian, let's just kind of get straight to the point on that, that came into the YouTube studios and started shooting the place up. Now, what bothered me the most, though, was the reactions to the first report that I saw released on this as the comment section the comment section was filled with a bunch of crusaders. Once again, all they cared about was they thought their guns were going to be taken away. The same atypical thing. And it, they didn't even care about the people that had been harmed during the shooting or anything. That's all they cared about. Oh, this is another propaganda stunt to take away our guns. Oh, for Pete sakes, you people. But with that story on top of it, it has forced other things to resurface again. Because of the measures that were taken right after this last election, when they kicked in their fake news filter on Google, they kicked it in on YouTube, which is uh, Google and YouTube are all connected to one another. Okay, this is why all of a sudden that anybody that was speaking out against the current, well, at that point in time, was already set in motion to anybody speaking out towards certain things going on with policies in the incoming administration. You know, for instance, one of the things listed that really catches your attention is anybody that is anti-war, well, they'll make sure that they're silenced on YouTube. Well, that's the thing. We knew this has been going to this place for, we've talked about this in the background for years. Well, here we sit. Okay, and now they're just kind of what they've been doing all this time is they've been keeping track of all of this all along. But now they've brought it into the mainstream and just kind of tell everybody, hey, this is what we're doing. But, you know, something I want to point out, because I've been actually keeping track of this quite frequently. And, yes, we had a journalist, and it sounds like a few journalists were killed yesterday in the uh, standoff between 
those in Gaza Strip and the IDF. Folks, you need to keep your eyes out for journalists that are being killed all over the world because it is getting ridiculous how many are getting killed on a weekly basis. I'm coming across anywhere from seven to ten stories that I may happen to stumble across, sometimes more. This seems to be a global epidemic where journalists are getting shot one after another. We just had a nation in the Balkans that their prime minister had to step down because the people were so ticked off about the fact that an investigative journalist that was bringing forward corruption that was taking place in that governing body was killed. And they tried to sidetrack the investigation and everything else. Now, you know, folks, the infamous thing that the Constitution was built upon in the United States, I mean, people talked about this for years, it's freedom of the press. You know, and I think the best way I ever heard it stated was um, it's one of the books that I own um, concerning events that he was on the ground as a war correspondent working for various British news sources, starting with the uh, Soviet-Afghanistan wars where he began his major reporting. When he was talking to a journalist that was in Israel, I believe she worked for Haaretz, and she said something, and it caught my attention. Because they're talking back and forth and back and forth about the importance of their job. And she said, look, our job is to hold these leaders' feet to the fire, make them accountable when they are doing things that are completely out of line, doing unjust actions, unjust wars, so on and so forth. That statement I would have to agree with. And when you look at what's happened to the media in the United States, slow boil. Because now it's just, and that's why I pointed out, folks, read where a vast majority of where they're citing. You look over at the top of the article from Reuters, from AFP, which is a French outlet, or from AP. They're just copying and pasting. Just They put the story in there from those sources and do nothing. You don't hardly have anybody that's being broadcast in with your regular mainstream media that's even saying anything anymore. Folks, think back to the 60s, for instance, and all the protests about the unjust actions that were happening in Vietnam. And yet we brought it forward to today And if you're to go out, and if you think I'm joking, they just did a poll on this. If you go out and talk to people about what's going on with, you know, for instance, the United States, where all of their forces are sitting with everything they're doing, all these different actions, they'll just look at you with a blank stare. They have no idea what the United States is doing. It's a survey that was just released that was talking about Iraq, about the war there. And a vast majority of them still believe that America going in there, doing what they were doing because they were linked to Al-Qaeda, because they had weapons of mass destruction, both of which have been thoroughly disproved beyond any shadow of a doubt. Now, this is, at least for people to pay attention, this is common knowledge. A vast majority of the people that were interviewed and asked about this They had no idea. They thought that what America did 
to Iraq was a just war, and they stand behind that. They asked them to point out Iraq on a map, and a certain percentage couldn't even do that. Folks, what happened here? I mean, it's literally quite ridiculous that I've had to have conversations with people. And, you know, the best example was when those first bands came out from Islamic nations being able to come in the United States. And, you know, I heard people crusading and I kind of asked them, can you tell me why those seven nations are on that list? Or can you tell me why we're over there? In those nations, can you give me any reason for this? They just look at me. They didn't even know we were there, let alone they had no explanation as to why. Here we wrap it around to, because there's two brat princes. You know, we've got Eric Prince. Well, let me touch on him first. I brought this up a little bit last night. He has now been connected in with the Cambridge Analytica scandal that broke out where it turns out that, well, hmm, who was really influencing the election during the cycle as they used all the Facebook data and then used everybody's worst demons against them? Oh, who was that funded and financed by, um, by the way? Oh, the Mercers, the guys behind Breitbart News and Steve Bannon. You see where this is going? Well, lo and behold, that Brett Prince, Eric Prince, fingerprints are all over it too because he was smart enough to use some proxy layers of his uh, Funter Services group which is just you know it's Blackwater at this point I think we're on like 7.0 or 8.0 or whatever he just keeps changing names he moves here he moves there when he gets busted for tax evasion or doing this illegal act or that he just you know moves to an Arabian nation sets up shop in China well guess what Frontier Services Group, Eric Prince, Cambridge Analytica. And yet, your media is still running you in circles as we put more sanctions on oligarchs, people connected to Putin, for interfering in our election. Has Cambridge Analytica, beyond any shadow of a doubt, had more effect on anything? And yet, they still are playing this run and circle game about collusion. Folks, Eric Prince has been one of the chief financiers going back to his father and before that within the current theocratic, dominionist, crusader movements across America. Okay, this is backed by a plethora of documentation. Okay, and then we find out he's connected to that as well. So, you know, as people had been sending out their quote-unquote ties to all these organizations like, you know, I don't know. I'm a little tired of listing them. I've been listing them forever. And, you know, we've had recent media as even once again. It's bringing a little, a little detail into the equation again. Unfortunately, I wish they would expand on it much more of what they call Christian nationalists in the United States. At least it's being brought to the attention, but as I stated, they need to go much deeper than this. 
So it's a start. I mean, I hope more starts coming out into the open about this because people need to be informed. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, those of you that are listening to me, you might want to look into the entire topic because that's how we got to where we are today. As Matthew has always stated, well, you'll get your soul. See, there was one thing I started stating, too. Not only did you get your soul, you also got your Haman. You handed him the keys to the treasury, and look what he's done. The stock markets have just been something else over the course of these, uh, hmm, when did that start? Oh, yeah, back in February. Back in the red again on Friday. And you know how they kept propping this up? Well, they kept leaking to the media. Well, we're having talks with China as we speak. Well, guess what? China came out and said, um, guys, we haven't said anything to them since like the end of March. So the little prop-ups we saw with the stock market this week was all based on lies. And I knew it was going to happen. I saw, I believe it was Thursday or Wednesday when I'm, everything's in the green. I'm like, this is classic. I'll bet you by tomorrow again. All of a sudden, guess what? The next big announcement. As Donald Trump, on top of it, in an interview with the radio station, says, we've lost the trade war. Oh, boy. Well, that's just lovely. What was the point then? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and Matthew touched on the topic for a second. The drought that's showing up in one spot. Folks, do yourself a favor and run that into a search engine. Tap it down the news, bring it into whatever variable of a time frame you want to look at. Okay, the food supply has been in a perilous circumstance for a while, but it's really starting to escalate. I don't know, any of you that don't pay attention to what your receipts say when you go to the grocery store and the cost of the food, you might want to start looking because it's been going up for a while, but it's getting bad. That's where we kind of go back to three measures of barley, measure of wheat, denarius. I found it interesting the other day in an article out of Jordan where it states the denarius. By the way, yes, that currency is still used. And I just wanted to touch on something else here. Now, it's you know, at least it's uh, to a degree it's caught people's attention that these events parallels with uh, Gog and Magog and so forth. But let's not get ahead of ourselves yet, folks. And This is where you want to kind of go around to Revelation 19, verse 18. Okay, because these events all take place after the previous events. Because the, um, the 19, verse 18, is the really big one that will catch your attention to it. So that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men, slaves, and small and great. Now, if you go over to Ezekiel 39, 18, and 20, you eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, bulls. All of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk. For my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you, you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men, 
all the men of war, declares the Lord God. Now, we did a program several years back. Matthew posted some interesting questions to us. And I kind of kept quiet because the study before it all, I suddenly figured it out. The events of Ezekiel 39 is essentially part one. 38, part two, after Satan has been loosed. Now, yes, do you have some things, information, so on and so forth about both events in both chapters? Oh, yeah. So you've got to pay attention to that. But nonetheless, you know, and this is where we're going to get in and do some talks in the future about timelines, events, and all that good stuff. But our main keys right now is we really need to keep an eye on, A, our circumstances that are developing, especially with Israel. We've got this development with Syria, Lebanon. I'd say keep an eye on Egypt, um, Iran, so many you can't stop. Never mind the fact that we are definitely hitting the stage where China, I mean, folks, this is being stated in the circumstances of trade war, but look, there have been plans in place for ages now that war plans drawn up on how they plan to take China out. That's where this is headed eventually. Same goes with Russia, and we can see the writing on the wall concerning that. Uh, Russian, I can't believe, remember exactly who it was in Russia. I believe it might have even been Putin himself. Flat out, let everybody know I am getting sick and tired of you amassing all these forces on our borders with NATO. Okay, they know where this is headed. This, um, and the story just keeps getting more, well, from a logical standpoint, gets more confusing by the minute concerning this poisoning of this uh, ex-Russian spy and his daughter and so on and so forth, because the chemical company that was investigating it earlier this week said, well, this doesn't, wasn't made in Russia. But then they turn around and within, you know, a day or two, they said, oh, it was made by Russia. For Pete's sakes, give me a break. And that's, that's what it's been is a wall of confusion. And we've seen where this is heading. This is building and building and building. And we have more sanctions just thrown at Russia again. But, you know, never mind the fact that nobody talks about that Shanghai opened their own market, their own petrodollar now. Folks, these sanctions are now a joke. And because the only thing <coughs> the American dollar has to be used for is oil. When you can go somewhere else to get that oil now with a currency backed by and a market backed by, they can't play the sanctions games no more. What does that mean? Oh, that's right. What did they say in China? Discussion stopped at the end of March. When did they open that shank? Oh, no. Do you get where this is going, folks? As far as the United States is concerned, that is an act of war. Against what? Well, the only thing they care about, against their prosperity, against their money. Now, I'm sorry I'm being a little bit blunt here, but that's reality. That's where this is headed. That's just 
with the United States and China. You know, we the Cold War is out of control. Between Russia again, started initiated with the bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade. Run back around again. Things are out of control in that sphere. The Balkans, oh boy. There's so many things happening there right now. They're afraid Serbia and Kosovo is about to explode. It just keeps going. So, with all that said, I hand the mic back over for the last uh, three minutes and whatever minutes after overdrive. Well, with all that Brian had to say, uh, Clinton, would you like to add your feelings, comments, your maybe that's a good question, Clinton. What's your feelings about all this? Well, I've still got Clinton on the switchboard, but he seems to have dropped off. I'll say what I think. I think after listening to what Brian had to cover, the situation's dire. And none of you have the time to waste. And I suggest that you come to grips with the Bible, God's holy word. I suggest you sink the majority of your free time into writing that upon thine heart. With that being said, you can find Clinton Co-Watch on Twitter. Just do a search for him. You will find him. Uh, He also does a podcast over on Podbean. I suggest you check that out. Um, I suggest you check out my Twitter feed and get that link to the archive. And with that, Brian, your closing comments and websites and and, uh, contact information, please. Well, uh, I don't think I need to add too many comments on top of that because I think that summed it up. We've got a lot that we're looking at here. No way around it. Me trying to cover it between anywhere between 40, 30, 20 minutes a week. Not doing this justice. little heads up, I got something in the works that I'll be hopefully launching in this week. So keep an eye out for that. You can find uh, me at over attention show on Twitter, over at attentionshow.com, which also to the right-hand side, if for anything else, at least go to get the link to the uh, archive that Deb put a lot of painstaking work into. Thanks for joining us. God bless. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I strongly suggest that you uh, strongly consider your position. Where do you stand? I suggest you all start making a list and of the issues of the day, where you stand, then draw a line down the middle of the paper. Get the Bible, God's Holy Word out, and figure out where it is that he stands. Because if you don't find them to be the same locality, you're in a world of hurts. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.